entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go. Welcome to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. The show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builder Show, and along with my executive producer, D.C. Taylor, we will be your guides on this learning journey. Let me tell you my super objective in being with you today. I want to enthusiastically share stories and information to inspire leaders so they can inspire others. I'm proud to let you know we record the Business Builder Show in the studios of 94.3 FM The Talker, which is part of Bold Gold Media, and I'm in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The Business Builder Show is distributed by C-Suite Radio. You can find all our shows and many other great shows at csuiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. My special guest with me today is University of Michigan graduate, Mr. Sam Walker, is with me. Hi, Sam. Hi, Marty. How are you? I'm doing good. We, we were talking about um, University of Michigan, so I thought I'd start that way. And we're going to talk about Sam's great book, it's called The Captain Class, uh, A New Theory of Leadership by Sam Walker. Um, quick bio, quick intro. Sam Walker is the Wall Street Journal's leadership columnist. He works with sports teams, companies, and military units to help them identify and cultivate potential leaders. Previously, Walker was the journal's deputy editor for Enterprise, the unit that oversees in-depth page one features and investigative uh, investigative reporting projects. A former sports writer, which kind of explained what we're going to talk about, a former sports writer and columnist, he is now the founding editor of the journal's prize-winning daily sports coverage. Sam Walker again, welcome to the Business Builder Show. Let's start out this way. I heard on another podcast that you spent 11 years researching this book. I'm always impressed that someone would spend that time. Is there something wrong with you? What what took so long? I think I'm completely obsessive compulsive, Marty. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think I might even be an idiot. I'm not sure. But, uh, it, I, you know, I, I just, I got down this rabbit hole and it was so big and so complicated that, um, that I just stayed down there for, for a long time. And I mean, to be, to be fair, I had a job, so it wasn't 11 consecutive years of solid work. Um, that would be crazy, but no, I really, to be honest, you know, I started researching this and I really just asked a very basic question, which is what is the secret ingredient? Is there some DNA that all great elite dynasties have? And is this something we can put our finger on? And you know, I started to unravel this, and as I did, I realized that I felt like I was onto something. I mean, all of my preconceptions mm. that I came in with were knocked over, and I really was so surprised by that. I think um, it gave me the motivation I needed to see the project through to the end. Yeah. Well, and again, I'm going to probably keep coming back to the point of the research that you put into, the time, the study, the reports that you read. I'm always impressed 
uh, by that. Um, uh, obviously, in, in a way, it's your job. Like you say, you had a real job, and you have a real job. But to write a book this detailed, uh, I am, I'm just so impressed. And it is a great read. Again, I'm going to say the uh, title of the book. It's The Captain Class, A New Theory of Leadership. And Sam definitely challenged a lot of my thinking. So you ended up talking about and you identified the world's most elite teams. Wow, that's fraught for discussion if we were sitting on a bar stool someplace. So, so, so t- talk to me about that. How the hell did you come up with the world's most elite teams? I think you came up with 17 of them. Go. Yeah, well, I had those bar fights too, you know, okay. and, and I it was always on the losing end, I felt like. So, uh, you know, what I did was, I, I first thing I did was I just Googled it, you know, what greatest teams of all time. I mean, I wanted a sample of teams to study, right? So I looked at all the lists and immediately I realized that no one had ever done this objectively with any kind of rigorous methodology. I mean, people had made lists, but they were just opinions or they were kind of based on flawed statistics or, or yeah. some small Thanks. So what I realized is I had to do it myself and I had to start from scratch. So I, I looked at every single team in the history of sports since the 1880s all over the world. And there were about 25,000 of them. Yikes. And, you know, I, I started to narrow them down. And, you know, there's no way to do this statistically. There's no algorithm because teams and the formats are so different. There's really no way to measure success. I knew a few things, though, and I started just using basic filters. The first was I wanted to study sustained success, uh-huh. not a team that had just won, you know, one championship. I wanted to find a team that had uh, built a culture of excellence. So I set the bar at four years. They had to have been dominant, absolutely dominant for four years. Then I decided, you know, I was only going to study the teams that played at the absolute highest level of their sport. So American college sports, for example, fell out. Uh, Also, that teams played against the other top teams of the era. So a lot of teams from the early part of the 20th century, for example, fell out because they just didn't travel much. Mm. Um, But the final one, there was one more filter, which was that the team had to have done something unique in the history of its sport, mm. whether it was the number of titles it won or its long-term winning percentage or something. It, it had to be uh, a part, really an outlier within the sport itself. Yeah. So after all of that, I mean, there were you know probably about 122 teams that I thought were, were very good, but there were really only 17 that absolutely met all of those criteria. And that was – Far fewer than I ever would have imagined, but uh, but that was the sample that I used. Yeah, and some names are going to be people are going to say, "Oh, of course," and uh, other uh, teams and names of captains that we'll get into in a minute are going to say, "Like, well, wait a minute, this is where some bar fights might start." But I want to talk about two teams because these are teams that people may not know much about. I didn't. Um, let's talk about the Cuba. International Women's Volleyball Team. And then the other one I'd like to talk about is the Australia International Women's Field Hockey Team. Start with Cuba. What's the story behind that that team, International Women's Volleyball Team? I'd never heard of them. I had no idea who they were. And, you know, I, I looked at their record, though, and, you know, from 1990 to 2000, this team – 
beat everybody. I mean, they did not lose a match of consequence in 10 years. They mm. are the greatest Olympic team in the history of, of Olympic team sports by wow. far, I mean, man, wow. men or women. Yeah. I and mean, what they did was phenomenal. And they did it from this tiny country of, you know, 9 million people, which poor and politically repressed. They had no great tradition of volleyball either. I mean, it wasn't like they were Brazil or something. I mean, they yeah. had no business being that great. So they were fascinating to me. And I uh, went to Havana and I met many members of the team and I met with their captain, Maria Luis. Now, what I discovered at the end of all of my research was really something I never imagined, which is it wasn't talent as the Cubans demonstrated because they were short and not really that athletic relatively. It wasn't about coaching. You know, they had uh, their coach actually left in the middle of their streak and they continued winning. Um, it wasn't about tactics really, or even money, obviously what the thing all these teams had in common, including Cuba was that they had the same kind of captain and yeah, yeah. these captains were not what I imagined. I mean, not at all. I thought leaders were stars, charismatic people who loved the spotlight, who um, were very diplomatic and, and who, uh, you know, took the big shot with the game on the line and, yeah. you know, never pushed back and, and never introduced conflict on their teams. What I found was that they were completely the opposite. And uh, in many cases, they were role players and they were not the best players on their team. They were yeah. not interested in celebrity and attention. And Maria Luis was such a great example of this. She was also a great example of something else that was interesting, which is that all of these great captains really pushed back and they could be hard to manage. And they yeah. also pushed the rules to the absolute breaking point. And yeah. there was this famous match with the Cubans now. And it's what I wrote about in the book. They uh, were really struggling in the middle of their great winning streak in the, in the Olympics in Atlanta. And they lost a couple of matches in the group stage uh, and barely made it to the knockout phase. It looked like they were done. And they had to play Brazil in the semifinals. And Brazil was really the other power of the time. And uh, in order to beat them, Maria Luis, the captain, came up with this plan, which was really uh, <laughs> astonishing to me. Yeah. She decided I – mean, you, you read it. I mean, <laughs> she decided that she was going to try to get in their heads and make them beat themselves. And the way she wanted to do that <laughs> – was she told her team to just hurl the most awful insults they could think of it at the Brazilians across the net. I mean, just horrendous stuff. Yeah, and yeah. this was obviously unsportsmanlike. Now, what I found, though, was that all of these captains were really interesting. They sometimes pushed the rules, but they also knew what they could get away with. And the rules of sports are supposed to be kind of malleable. And, you know, she started doing this and they got a yellow card, but no one was ejected and they kept on doing it and doing it as stealthily as they could. And, you know, in the end, you know, they wound up winning this match and a really thrilling match in the fifth set. But afterwards, you know, the whole thing got out of control and one player bumped another. And in the locker room, they got into this huge brawl. I mean, and they had to call the Atlanta police to break it up. These two teams were were fighting for a long time. And. It was a mess and a huge humiliation for volleyball, but also for the Cubans. And what I didn't understand was how a leader could do this and what it said about leadership. But what I found in looking at science, but also in talking to these captains, was that um, they almost had a kill switch. They Mm. saw this sort of aggressive play Mm. as a tool they, they, they could use in a tough moment as the moment they were in when the stakes were high and the rewards were great. Uh, And they would sometimes do this and they would know how to get away with it and try to operate within the rules, but they would go as far as they could. And the thing that was fascinating to me was that when I talked to Maria's teammates about this, 
they said, um, well, there was only one person who was trying to break up the fight, and that was Maria Luis, yeah. you know, the person who started yeah. it. So yeah. the minute that that aggression wasn't useful, she shut it off. And you know, it was a tool that yeah. she used. And that's the thing about all these captains. You know, they had these seven behaviors that I yeah. uh, that I mentioned. And, and they weren't great. They didn't have incredible God-given talent, but it was all about behavior. It was about the decisions they made, especially in difficult situations. And that's really what leadership is. It's about behavior. It's about decisions, choices, yeah. uh, and what you do for your team when um, things are about to fall apart. Some of these captains were a real pain in the ass um, oh, to, God, yeah. to, to, to yeah. management, to their teammates. Um, yes. you know, I mean, I'm reading this and thinking like, I, I guess the book, the title is accurate. A new theory of leadership by Sam Walker, um, the captain class. Because some of these, these stories are unbelievable. Um, you're a good storyteller on air as well as in the book. Uh, let's skip over Australia for a minute because here's where I want to go based on what you just told me there. In what I just said. Um, so you talked about the importance or the relevance or maybe the non-relevance of talent, money, and culture in these great teams. These are all things that we all think about and probably ascribe to great teams. But talk to me about that. It was surprising to me. I just couldn't believe when I looked at these 17 teams uh, – some of them had great talent. Some of them were okay. I mean, they, they didn't always have elite athletes. And um, their tactics sometimes were brilliant. Sometimes they were pretty ordinary. And some of them had money. Some of them had very little money. It didn't seem to matter. Um, it's not that those things aren't important. What I realized was that uh, it takes a lot of things to, to have a great team, especially a dynasty. But the captain, the, le- the internal leadership of the team is really the verb in that sentence. Yeah. I mean, you can have the, the, the nouns, the adjectives, every, the punctuation, everything might be more colorful than the verb. But that verb is the thing that gives it that forward momentum. So without that, it's not a sense. It's the one thing that you absolutely must have. And all these teams had the same leadership profile. So if you want to sustain success – it really comes down to the um, the person who is is leading the team, and the fascinating thing about it was, it's just not it's drudgery. I mean, these yeah. captains they had to be completely selfless and completely sublimate their ego yeah. to the collective effort. And there's very few people that are willing to do that in the world, and we often don't think of them as leaders. Yeah, but that's what it takes, and the work they had to put in, the relentlessness they showed, the toughness, the uh, the the volume of communication. They didn't give speeches. I mean, this idea that you have to give a big speech to motivate a team is is not true. I mean, these captains, some of them were very almost inarticulate, but they talked very intensely one-on-one to people. They were just constantly scanning the team for any leadership issue that needed to be dealt with. I mean, every single day. And yeah. it was tireless, selfless, thankless work. But in every case, that's that those things make such big marginal differences. They're not things we can measure. They're not things that show up in a spreadsheet. But you know, it's a little percentage here and there that the team gets better at, and yeah, um, and it makes all the difference. Um, 
we can't possibly do this justice, so forgive me for that. But, folks, you should uh, go to his website, and uh, Sam's website is buysamwalker.com. That's buysamwalker.com. You'll be able to see the book. You'll be able to uh, see more details on it. You'll be able to see the seven traits of elite captains, which, by the way, is on page 91, Sam, just to have further confirmation. And we don't have time to go into details, so let's let's talk about it in this way so okay you did all this research uh, I, I guess i'm going to make this simple um was michael jordan one of the elite captains <laughs> no okay no go <laughs> no he wasn't i mean he was one of the most biggest mysteries and i i spent you know a good part of a chapter talking about it um michael jordan i think is is one of the people that a lot of people default to when they think about a great leader and a great captain now what i discovered though was uh, in talking to his teammates and really looking at the record of the team, the Bulls for six seasons didn't do anything and, and weren't able to break through. And Michael Jordan was considered, you know, he's going to be the greatest player in the NBA and never wins a championship, right? And that was the knock. And when they turned it around in 1990, they did this early in the season. They had a mediocre record after the first few weeks. And uh, Phil Jackson made a completely unnoticed decision, which is he decided to na- make – uh, Bill Cartwright, the co-captain of right the on. I, I remember Bill, Bill Cartwright. Remember Bill Cartwright? I mean, all right, man. He was the best. <laughs> I loved him. Go just a keep grinder. Going. Yeah, yeah a, grinder. a grinder. That's right. Total grinder, and a yeah. guy who mentored the young players. The problem the Bulls had was that Michael Jordan sucked up all the oxygen, and no one on that team. They yeah. all resented having to play what they called Michael Ball. It was all about Michael. Everything was about him. And, yeah. you know, no one wanted to buy into the roles. And once Cartwright took that leadership position and got that title, uh, that gesture by Phil Jackson told the, the team everything he needed to know. And he got everyone to buy in. And he worked did all that work behind the scenes to make the team cohesive. And look what they did. I mean, they won three state, straight titles yeah. there before Gordon retired. And then when he came back, he had – Scottie Pippen had kind of learned this role, and Steve Kerr was there as well to provide some of it. And, you know, they were able to win a few more. But, um, but no, he's not on the list. And, you know, the Bulls didn't make it because they didn't win as many titles as the, yeah. as the Celtics. Yeah, Bill there you Ball. go. And they, didn't, uh, they didn't have the longevity of the Spurs either. So, um, yeah. so you know, they're the, a great team, but they weren't unique. But they weren't unique. And uh, is it Tier 1 you call those teams, the 17 teams, the Tier 1? And just to cover my ass on this, it's a podcast, I can say that word. Uh, <laughs> the Pittsburgh Steelers were yes. one of the 17, right? Love the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jack yeah, Lambert. How about Jack Lambert, man? I love Jack Lambert. I mean, he's <laughs> – when I was a kid, I just loved him and loved the Steelers. So I was so happy that they, they the, made it in there. No teeth, Lambert bloody uniforms, all that kind of stuff, man. Oh, great. No, and he was the master of what I call um, nonverbal communication, of the ability to – uh, to use gestures and, and uh, emotional displays to, to fire up his team and intimidate the opponents, which is another one of these traits. I mean, he was the absolute king of that. Yeah. And the other thing you mentioned is you call them the, I think you say, water carriers. These yeah. these captains, um, these elite group of captains uh, have these traits. And one of them, you don't say it exactly in your seven, but what do you mean by that? They, they, they carried people's water. Talk, talk to me more about that. 
The best example I can give you is the 1999 U.S. women's soccer team, which is the greatest national women's team of all time. And you remember Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, Brandi Chastain. Well, the captain of that team was Carla Overbeck, and no one knows who Carla Overbeck is. She was a central defender. She was far from the best athlete on the team, never did anything to get on the highlight reels, never scored. Uh, the minute she got the ball, she would distribute it to a teammate. And I was just puzzled. Like, there were a lot of these captains like this who were just role players on surrounded by much better athletes. And, you know, what I learned was that um, they were so selfless and so interested in the team over themselves that they were able to generate this sort of currency, this kind of capital with yeah. the players. And Carla Overbeck would carry the team's luggage from the bus to their hotel rooms. Literally, literally. Literally carry the baggage. I mean, yeah. she did all kinds of selfless things. Yeah. But the thing is, on the field, she was very vocal with her teammates. And, you know, she was the first person over there. Someone wasn't focused or paying attention. And when she spoke to you, everyone understood that she was talking from the perspective of the team, of the group, not herself. It wasn't personal. It was about the team's success. And it gave her incredible authority, but also by laying off the ball to her teammates and playing selflessly, she created dependency inside that group. Everyone needed those passes. They wanted her approval. They wanted um, her help, and she was able to control the team tactically. So that was a huge surprise to me. I mean, you can lead from the back. I mean, we always look at the people who are doing the things the most influential, impactful things like scoring. But, you know, really inside the team, what really makes it function, what really where the command and control often comes is from the back. It's the things you don't see that are happening. And that's what leadership is. It's mostly behind the scenes. It's not going to get your big face in the paper and you're you're not going to get handed all kinds of awards. It's going to be something that you only, the only satisfaction you'll get is the team's outcome. And that has to be enough. Yeah, my guest is Sam Walker. His website is buysamwalker.com. You'll want to go there. You'll definitely want to buy the book, no question about it, The Captain Class, A New Theory of Leadership uh, by Sam Walker. By the way, there's people like Theo Epstein and Jeff Immelt from GE, from formerly with G- General Electric, who has uh, praise for the book. So let me use that as what you just said in terms of leadership and lead from the back. Connect your work what you've done in this book to business, to the corporate world. Just kind of give me a couple of thoughts on that because this is a business show. Some people are going to pick up on it immediately. Let's make sure we're clear or you're clear on what your thoughts are. Teams are teams. Ah. I mean, you know, the dynamics that work inside a unit that's trying to work together collectively under pressure are not different. I mean, they're, they're maybe more extreme in sports. Uh, in the military, but in business, they're absolutely dynamic and uh, and important. And it's something that many teams overlook. I think there's a temptation to um, to pick the best person, pick the star of your team, the, the best, most talented person to lead it. That is often the wrong decision. And oftentimes, the right leader, the person who is committed to the group's success over their own, that's the kind yeah. of person that we often overlook. I mean, these great leaders, the great ones, I mean, they're the kind of people who are really boring in job interviews. You yeah. know, they're not, yeah. they're not, they don't party. They're great, not, great you know, point. they don't take compliments well. They, they deflect credit. They, um, you know, they, they're not 
necessarily great talkers or, or speakers or charismatic people. They may not have the flashiest resume. They're hard to spot. And too often we uh, don't even consider them for positions of authority. And, you know, if you can find that person inside your team, I, I say to business people all the time, like, look, look at your team, you know, when they're working and say, who's the last person in this room? who I think is, is, would be the leader of the team, who an outsider would pick. And it may not be that person, but you're going to be probably closer to the right answer than you are if you ask the question a different way. Yeah. So it's really about um, thinking about what leaders really look like and expanding our definition of who they are and what they do. And any business, any, any institution, any group of any kind can benefit from that. You'll see the You'll see the benefits immediately by yeah. installing someone like this. I, I agree. And and the book challenged me. And by the way, I hope you're okay with my next statement is, this is not a quick read, folks. If you take <laughs> this seriously, as I did, uh, and usually I can rip through a book pretty quick because I got to read a lot of them. I it, This took me a while. I had to stop. I had to think. I go like... Is that guy really saying this? Like, what the hell? And by the way, I don't want, I wouldn't have details on this. They have to read the book. Yogi Bear, I love the whole thing about Yogi Bear. I learned so much. Don't go there because I want them to read the book. Let's wrap up this way. Present day athletes, present day teams, uh, who do you think you're going to be writing about in the next few years? I'll put you on the spot. No. Well, I mean, the Golden State Warriors are, are my favorite. Ah. I mean, they're a beautiful example of this. I mean, they, you have Steph Curry, who's amazing. You have, um, you know, Kevin Durant. You have you know, Draymond Green. You have all these people that are very much the face of the team. The captain is Andre Iguodala, the yeah. leader of that team, the guy who fulfills this role. And they have a great leadership group, and, and Steph and um, Draymond Green perform some of those leadership functions too, but they're – beautiful example of how this works. They have a coach who's a partner with the players and who partners with a captain, but it's really Iguodala. It's Andre Iguodala who, you know, was fine having Kevin Durant come, even though it meant he was going to come off the bench. I mean, you know, he's, yeah. he's not someone who uh, needs to be in the spotlight. In fact, the great story of him is he won the NBA Finals MVP once, and yeah. someone asked him where the trophy is. He's like, he keeps it in a bag in his basement <laughs> somewhere. I mean, he doesn't care. Yeah. It's all about the team collectively. And if you go back and look at the moment that team turned it around and became went from being a laughingstock franchise to becoming a great team, it was the minute that Andre Iguodala – to everyone's shock and surprise, decided to go there as a free agent because he knew what, what he had and he knew what the potential was and he could see it maybe even better than the front office could. Yeah. And, you know, watch him play because he is the I best have. I walking, have. talking example of what I'm talking about. We're out of time. People have to read this book because I have faith in some coaches – like Steve Kerr, but they have to read the book. I we're, we're, we're laying the breadcrumbs out. So Sam Walker's day job is with the Wall Street Journal, and he has written a phenomenal book, very well-researched. Everybody should read this that's considering the idea of leadership. You have to understand this new theory of leadership. The book is the captain class. Sam Walker, fantastic job. Uh, I enjoyed the book. Uh, keep up the great work. And, uh, folks, one more time, his website is buysamwalker.com. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Thank you, Marty. Thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. Reminding you to find all our shows and many other great shows on C-Suite Radio. That's c-suiteradio.com. We have myself, Marty Wolf, your host, and D.C. Taylor, my executive producer, 
Thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show, but stay tuned for information on how you can become part of the C-Suite Network. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. As a loyal fan of this C-Suite Radio Show, we've got an unbelievable offer for you. Listeners to the Business Builder Show get 50% off a C-Suite Network membership. The C-Suite Network will help you become the most strategic person in the room. You'll have access to top-notch benefits and networking, all helping you get the most out of your position. Take advantage of this limited-time offer today. Learn more about the C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR. Again, that's 50% off a C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR.